Well, good morning, Horizon. Uh, that was terrific worship, wasn't it? Uh, thank you, praise team. Thank you, Natalie, for leading us in worship this morning. That was great. And thank you for your part in that as well. I want to call your attention to what we were singing together just a moment ago. I am no longer a slave to fear. Remember those words? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I don't know if you've thought about this, but those words beg a question. And the question is, if I am a child of God now, what next? What does God want from me? Uh, We want to answer that second question this morning. What does God want from me now that I'm a child of God? We're in this series called uh, Moments of Truth, and uh, we're looking through different uh, portions of the New Testament this morning, a uh, second part of uh, Jude's letter, the letter of Jude. Uh, I would encourage you right now to open your Bibles and find your way to Jude. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 12 through 25 this morning. If you haven't been in Jude for a while, uh, just find your way to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, very last book of the New Testament, then kind of put your mind in reverse for a few seconds and, and go back and you'll find Jude. It's the book right before the book of Revelation. So here we are as um, children of God. What, what next? The month of July, have you noticed, has been a horrific month. I say that because it started out with a, a shooting in Louisiana. Man was uh, being arrested, an attempt to be arrested, and then uh, all of a sudden uh, he was shot in the process. Uh, outrage went throughout the, the community. Uh, only a couple of days later, uh, there was another shooting in the state of Minnesota. And again, that was followed by outrage across the country. And then within hours, there was what officials are telling us was an ambush in the city of Dallas. A number of police officers were shot, five were killed. And then, uh, after that, we heard about other assassination attempts, ambushes across the world. In Nice, France, during a national holiday celebration, man rented a delivery truck, drove into an area where people were celebrating. He had a gun, he started shooting at people, driving over people with, uh, with his truck. And uh, after all of the carnage, we are told that some 80-plus people died in that process. A few more days later, here in this month of July, there was a shooting in Munich, Germany, another shooting in France of uh, some priests. And we look at that and we say, what in the world is going on? All of those events have fostered a couple of different questions. One of the questions is, in all of our diversity, how in the world do we come together? There's a second question that comes right out of that. Not only how do we come together, but before that happens, how do we as human beings, how do we as citizens in different cultures, how do we protect ourselves from the evil that is in the world? Okay, now push the pause button right there because some of you might think that I'm beginning to talk about public policy and that's not why I'm here this morning. I am here, however, to talk to you about spiritual policy. That's why I asked you to take a look at the letter of Jude, because it's talking about spiritual policy. Let me tell you where the connection is 
uh, in terms of talking about protecting ourselves in the culture and, and protecting ourselves as Christians. It's in this regard. Your faith, if you are a Christ follower, your faith is under fire. I say that because um, the Bible today is under fire in a lot of different uh, contexts. There are people who say, well, it's a good book. We might draw some moral lessons from it, but it's not really a word from God. But Jesus is under fire today. There are some people who would say, good moral teacher. He's done some good things. He can be a model to us, but Jesus is not really very God of very God. He's not the Son of God. Uh, Ethics are under fire today. Where at one time we thought there was a certain standard, a moral code that we were supposed to follow. Now, it's all up in the air and we wonder, where do we begin to find guidance and direction in terms of how we are to live and how we are to live with one another? Everything seems to be under attack. So that leads to the question in terms of spiritual policy. How do we protect the truth? Now, you might say at this point, that's not my job. Uh, leave it up to the pastors, leave it up to theologians, someone else. But, but that's not my job. No, that's not the case. I say that because I want you to start this morning by looking at a couple of observations with me from this letter of Jude. Observation number one comes from the very first verse. But listen to what he says. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Look at those descriptive terms. Those who are called, those who are sanctified, meaning by that those who are set apart by God the Father, and those who are preserved in Jesus Christ. He is talking about you. Jude has an audience, so make note of that. He's talking to a specific group of people, and it's not just the believers in the first century to whom he was writing. He's talking to you, especially if you are a Christ follower here this morning. So he has an audience. Would you notice as well that Jude also has an aim? Now, every biblical writer, I would suppose every author has an aim. Jude has a specific aim in writing this letter. You see it in verse 3. Notice again what he says. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, notice the next phrase, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The key word there is the word contend. Uh, The word contend has the idea of defending, protecting the faith which has been delivered to every single believer. Sometimes theologians will draw another term, uh, uh, another discipline that that comes out of that word contend. Uh, It it is the term apology or being an apologist. He's saying that every Christian is an apologist. Now, if you haven't heard that term before, it does not mean, note this, it does not mean that we go around apologizing for the faith. We say to our colleagues at work or our neighbors or uh, someone else in the family, please forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, I hope I didn't offend you. No, that's not what it means. To be an apologist for the faith means that we defend the faith. We say, this is what I believe and here's why I believe it. And Jude is assuming that every single believer will be able to do that. Now, he's assuming that the faith has come under fire. Now, if that's the case... Here is something that you'll want to remember from this message this morning. Above and beyond everything else that you might write down, this point is extremely important. 
since your faith will come under fire, you need to live, because God wants you to live, as a truth protector. Since the gospel, the word of God, will come under attack, God wants every single believer to defend the faith, to defend the gospel. Now, with that in mind, I want you to make some more observations. Three things that we're going to see that are going to characterize people who are truth protectors, people like you. If you were to walk through those doors at the end of this uh, worship service this morning, and you would say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a truth protector. What would we see you doing? What would that look like? Okay, three things. Here's the first thing. One of the things we discover from what Jude has written is that truth protectors are discerning. Means that truth protectors uh, uh, look at things. Uh, they're not necessarily taken in by people in terms of how eloquent they might be or uh, how good looking they might be. Uh, rather, what we do, we, we look at the evidence. That's what it means to be discerning. It's like some of those uh, detectives on television. Maybe you've seen the program Elementary. It's kind of an updated version of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is, is no longer in London. Uh, he's now living in Manhattan. He has uh, an assistant, Dr. Joan Watson. And one of the things that impresses me about uh, Holmes is that when he comes to a crime scene, there might be other people that are chatting to other individuals and might be very impressive. But one of the things that Holmes does, uh, he's not taken in by people, not impressed by them. He'll find a chewing gun wrapper, and he'll look at that and assume that that's a piece of evidence, or, or, or maybe there's a cigarette butt, or maybe there's something else. He's collecting all of the evidence. He is being discerning about what is going on in the situation. So to be discerning is to be like a detective, to look at everything. We'll discover something more in just a moment as to what that means. Now, Jude talks about being discerning beginning in verses 12 and 13. He's talking about the fact there's this need to be discerning with respect to the dangers of false teaching. Notice what he says in these two verses. These are, meaning the false teachers, spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Jude piles metaphor upon metaphor upon metaphor to describe the dangers of these false teachers. He calls them spots at their love feast, their communion services. Another word, in fact, you might have a footnote in your Bible that says they are hidden reefs, kind of things where... A a person is in a boat and they're going out in the, in the waters and they don't necessarily see the, the reefs that are just below the surface and the boat hits the reef, smashes into, destroys it altogether. He says these false teachers are like that. He calls them clouds without water carried about by the winds. That would have meant a great deal in um, ancient Israel especially or even in the time when Jude was writing those huge cumulus clouds would start to come across the sky, just kind of floating, especially during the dry season. And someone will say, hmm, I'll bet we're going to get some rain today. And the clouds keep mo moving slowly and slowly and slowly until all of a sudden they're gone out of sight. No rain at all. He says false teachers are like that. They promise refreshment, but they do not deliver. He also says of them 
that they are late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. He has the, the image of a vineyard keeper who goes out into the vineyard and he comes to a tree, especially in late autumn. He's assuming there, there's some fruit that he can pluck from the tree, but there's no fruit there. And so he makes a proclamation. He says, this tree is dead. He calls for one of his workers and he says, listen, uh, here's what we're going to do. This tree is dead. Let's pull it up by the roots and later on we'll burn it in the fire. He says the false teachers are like that. They promise fruitfulness, but there's none to be gained. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. And then he says of them, they're like raging waves of the sea, foaming up all of their shame. It's like the, the waves, especially during a, a time of um, inclement weather, and the waves hit the beach, and this storm is, is battering the area. And after the storm has gone by, you walk down to the beach, and there's all kinds of debris everywhere. It's just false teachers are like that. <laughs> Leave a, a lot of damage in their wake. And then he says of them, they are wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. He's probably talking about what we sometimes refer to as shooting stars in the sky, the asteroids that are coming along. You would never, if if you were in a ship, say, I'm going to try to navigate according to that star because it's here and then it's gone. You'd said you would never do that. Now, here's his point. He says, we need to be discerning about these false teachers because they are very, very impressive. But they're dangerous to the core. Now, he says something else that we need to be discerning about. He says, we need to be discerning with respect to their destiny. Here's why I say this. In verse 14, Jude writes, now Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I guess we get the impression as to how Jude really feels about these people. They are ungodly individuals. Now, I need to make just a brief comment about this section because you'll notice that Jude refers to Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Why in the world does he do that? He's referring to the, to the book of Enoch. Now, if you were to take your Bible and go back to the index, you would go down in the Old Testament and then you would go down to all the books listed from the New Testament and you'd discover that there's no book of Enoch there. So why in the world would Jude cite this book of Enoch if it's not in the canon of the New Testament? Down through the ages, a lot of scholars have become very concerned, very confused about this book and why Jude employs it. Let me give you a suggestion as to why this is the case. In that day and time, people, especially in the first century, were very concerned about the end of times. They would often read apocalyptic literature. And the book of Enoch was considered an apocalyptic book, even though it wasn't in the canon of Scripture. And many people were reading it. For example, I wouldn't be surprised. There are people in this audience this morning who read an author like C.S. Lewis. In fact, you might even be in a book club where you read books written by C.S. Lewis and you talk about things that he said. 
There will be times when C.S. Lewis will make statements and you'll say, boy, that sounds very similar to what I read in the Bible, and you would be correct. And yet, we do not necessarily have the books of C.S. Lewis in the canon of Scripture. So what Jude is doing here, he is taking a popular book of that day and time, and he's saying, you know, uh, this book says some things that are interesting. Now, what is it that is being said that Jude wants us to capture? It's this. We see it in verse 15. That is that the Lord is coming to execute judgment on all of these false teachers. We need to know how dangerous they are, and we need to be discerning about their ultimate destiny. They're not going to reign supreme. They're not going to capture everyone, and we need to understand that. We need to be discerning about it. Now, let's go back to what I said to you just a few moments ago. One of this morning... Uh, You walked out of uh, this auditorium and you said, you know, I I think that God wants me to be a truth protector. That's my calling in life. I'm suggesting to you that if you do that, you you need to be discerning. Now, how would you be discerning? Here's my suggestion. You need to be like Sheriff Andy Taylor. Remember Sheriff Andy Taylor of Mayberry? (laughs) Andy Griffin played the role for a number of years. Here's the thing about... uh, Uh, Andy Taylor, that I've noticed about him. In one of the episodes, there's a guy who comes to town and he presents himself as a handyman and he goes around to different houses and he says, "Uh, listen, I can fix your porch, I can uh, repair the windows, I I, I can change the roof, the shingles on on, on your house, I can do all of these things. And and what he would do along the way, especially with the ladies, the people like Aunt B, he would say to them, oh my, you, you look lovely today. Oh, well, thank you. And then he would say something like, uh, uh, listen, do you have anything? It it smells like pie. Well, yes, I have some pie. And she would give him some pie. And he said, oh, this is the best pie that I have ever tasted. People would be taken in by that, but, but not Sheriff Andy Taylor. Sheriff Taylor would come along and he would ask questions. He would say, well, listen, uh, how many houses have you repaired in your career? And he would ask things like, uh, uh, where were you uh, just a week ago? What town were you in? What kind of jobs did you carry out? Now, why is that important? Because the more that we ask questions about people, especially when they present themselves, we discover that maybe this is not a handyman at all, but maybe the guy's really a con man. The same thing is true when it comes to false teaching in our world today. We can be taken in by impressive individuals who talk so smoothly. This seems to be so clear. But you, as a discerning believer, will come along and say, "Uh, listen, may I ask you, uh, where did you find that particular piece of information? Oh, very interesting. See, may I ask you a question? Uh, Where do you find this kind of teaching in the Bible? Do you see it in the Bible as well? All very interesting. Hey, may I ask you another question? Uh, Do you know any other teachers or or preachers or scholars that that hold this same truth that's being presented? See, ask questions. The more you ask questions and collect the evidence, the more discerning you will become. Now, don't forget this. Since your faith is coming under fire, you must live as a truth protector, and truth protectors are discerning. There's a second thing. We look at this text and we also discovered that truth protectors are disciplined. 
That is, there are certain things that they do in their lives to make sure that they will not be taken in by falsehood. We see this specifically beginning in verse 17 and going through verse 23. I want you to notice, first of all, that one of the things that Jude mentions is that these people are going to be disciplined with respect to knowing God's plans. Look at verse 17. But you, beloved... Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Now, the key word in that segment, that paragraph, is in verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words of the apostles. And when he uses that term, he's not just talking about bring back some information just so you can engage in a conversation. When Jude uses the word remember, he means bring back information so that you can be comforted by it. And you know there are some things that a person might say, don't you remember, don't you remember that this happened? Don't you remember that this is true? And in a difficult time you would say, oh, that's right, that's right. I need to remember that because it brings comfort to your soul. That's what Jude is saying here. We need to be disciplined so that we know what God's plan is all about. That's not all. We need to be disciplined with respect to something else. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into, unto eternal life. Now, the key phrase there is in verse 21, where he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the main thrust. That's what he's telling them to do. They need to be disciplined in keeping themselves in the love of God. I assume by that he's saying you need to keep reminding yourselves of the gospel, that you have been saved by the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep reminding yourself, stay in the love of God. How do you do that? There are three phrases that surround that one uh, main verbal expression. The first one is in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. You can do that in a variety of ways. Sharing truth with one another, reading the scriptures on a regular basis. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. I understand him to mean by that, that the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit reminds us as to how we can pray. The Holy Spirit even empowers us while we are praying. So he says, building yourselves up in the Holy, uh, uh, in the Holy Scriptures, your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. And then on the other side of that phrase, in verse 21, he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He is assuming that Jesus is coming back. And he's saying to his readers, Keep holding that thought. Jesus is coming back. He could come back at any time, at any moment, and you need to hold on to that no matter what is happening in the world around you. Be disciplined with respect to God's plans. Be disciplined with respect to what you need to know about these important truths that God wants you to have. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And then in verses 22 and 23, he's basically saying we need to be disciplined with respect to our care for people. Here's what he says. And on some, have compassion. I understand him to be talking about people within the congregation. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction. 
or uh, those who are doubting. Have compassion on those who are doubting. Verse 23. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Unfortunately, here's what happens in, in many different contexts. Someone makes a decision and they decide that they're going to embrace a different idea, a different philosophy, contrary to the Christian faith. And those of us who are believers, uh, we sometimes say, well, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> or, or we say, um, I knew that she thought that way. J- just let her go. We, we don't need to have someone in our fellowship like that at all. We write them off. And Jude says, don't do that. Be disciplined in loving people. Be disciplined in staying in the faith and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be disciplined in knowing God's plan. But if you're going to do that, do you know what it will mean? It will require of you, it will require of me that we make adjustments in our lives. This may surprise you, but um, in a matter of days, the uh, Olympics will be starting up again. Are you aware of the fact that no Olympic athlete ever got there simply by volunteering? Uh, and no one ever says, you know, I, I think I'd like to, to try the, the hurdles. Yeah, I've never done it before, but I think I'll do it. They never get on the team by simply volunteering. What has happened is they have adjusted their lives over and over and over again. They've moved to other parts of the country. They, they get special coaches. They, they engage in certain diets and certain exercises just so they can uh, uh, participate in the Olympics. They have adjusted their lives for what is ahead of them. And that's what God wants us to do as well. That's what Jude is saying in this letter, that we need to make adjustments in our lives so that we will be disciplined to know the truth, to live the truth, and to communicate the truth to other people. Since your faith is going to come under fire, and it will, live your life as a truth protector. Be discerning. That's what truth protectors do. Be disciplined. In all that you do. One other thing. One of the things we discover from this text is that uh, truth protectors are also devoted. That is, they focus their attention on certain things and on a certain person. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Now that sounds like a typical closing statement in a New Testament letter. It sounds like a doxology. It is, in one way, but it's much more. The wording that Jude uses that says certain things. For example, would you notice in verse 24, he says, Now to him, and I would understand him here, probably referring to the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. He's saying that one day, Jesus is going to take you and present you before God the Father. And when he does so, you'll be presented without any sin, 
There'll be no sense in which Jesus will say, listen, let me tell you what this person did in their earthly existence. Oh, it was terrible. He'll never do that. He'll present us faultless. He will preserve us along the way. And when you think about that, a Savior who would do that, you focus your attention upon Him and you say, I want to live for a Savior like that. I want to be devoted to Him. But Jude says something else. The wording here is very important in verse 25. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. My sense is that you probably don't use those expressions with respect to uh, acknowledging your boss at work (laughs) or a teacher that that you honor very much. Those are terms of royalty. Jude is saying this Jesus is no ordinary individual. Jesus is king. In fact, he is king of kings. To him be dominion and honor and glory forever and ever. And when we know that, we look at Jesus and we say, I, I, want, I want to follow someone like that. I want to be devoted to him. There's a story about Cyrus, who was the founder of the Persian Empire. During uh, the height of his reign, he had captured uh, uh, many kingdoms, many countries round about him. And on one occasion, uh, he, he captured a lesser king a lesser, lesser kingdom. And he brought the prince back to his kingdom and had the, the prince and his family, his wife, his children, and some of his subjects stand before him. And Cyrus looked at uh, this man and he said, uh, what will you uh, give me if I release some of your subjects? And, and the man said, I'll, I'll give you half of all of my wealth. And, and he said, and what will you give me, he said, if I release your children? And, and the Prince said, well, I'll I'll give you all of my wealth. He said, how about if I um, release your wife, what will you give me? And the man said, I'll give you my very life. And Cyrus, moved by this man's commitment, released everything that the man had. As they were traveling back home to their kingdom, this prince said to his wife, Did you notice, Cyrus, did you see how handsome he was? And his wife responded to him, "Uh, No, I I didn't notice, because I had my attention fixed on the one who was willing to give his life for me. So I ask you, is your life, is your attention fixed on the one who has given his life for you? Because when this sermon started, you may have said, ah, apologist. No, that, that's not me. <laughs> Defending the faith, no, I'm not there yet. I understand all of that. And I'm not asking you to do that. Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is asking you to be a truth protector. How will you respond? Heavenly Father, we would ask that you would take this word and apply it now to all of our hearts, helping us to see the responsibility that you've placed before us in a world that is filled with so many lies. Holy Spirit, give us courage.
courage and grace to be faithful to you in all things. Father, if there should be someone here this morning who hears all of this and doesn't really know what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll use the people in this congregation, you'll use the Word of God, every resource here, to bring them to faith in Jesus and in Him alone. And now we give ourselves to you and to your grace, praying all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you should be here this morning visiting for the first time, would like to know more about Horizon, would like to know more about the Christian faith, uh, as you uh, exit, you'll notice uh, down the hallway on the left side there is a, a room called the Hearth Room. There will be people there who would count it a great privilege to give you any information that you might need so that you can be a part uh, of this group of believers. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.